This is the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them not to tell anyone about what they'd seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. This is the Gospel of Transfiguration Sunday. This is a weird day to preach on, right up there with Ascension Day and Trinity Sunday. What do you say about Jesus meeting with the ghosts of two long-dead historical figures on top of a mountain and then all of them suddenly glowing like stage lights and then telling his friends not to tell anyone about this? There's lots of subtle things that we could pull out of this reading, but at its base, I think it's about seeing the face of God. It's a theophany. It's a great $5 word, theophany. It just means seeing God, having an experience personally of God. God appears to someone in fire and clouds and thunder and mountains and burning bushes and such. That's what we usually see in scripture. Signs that something big and momentous is happening. It's momentous because even though the disciples have been with Jesus for some time, and even though we have the benefit of 2,000 years of theological hindsight, it's not obvious at that moment that Jesus was something more special. The disciples don't really know that he's God, even after this moment. What they see on the mountain is that this guy they've been following is not just some guy. He's no charlatan. He's no run-of-the-mill preacher. And while he works in miracles and puts the religious authority in its place with a lot of sick burns, and he offers a new vision of hope to an oppressed people, he's not even only that. When they were around him, they kept feeling something that made their skin tingle and their stomachs flip and their brains both awake and strangely calm. That was the presence of God. Jesus is, in fact, somehow mysteriously, overwhelmingly God. So, like Moses in the desert going to the tabernacle at the Transfiguration, they are seeing the face of God. It's bizarre, this moment on the mountaintop, even though we hear it every year around this time, and it seems normal. It's not normal. It's weird and counterintuitive and countercultural. There are those who would say that the best way to understand who God really is is to look at Jesus. If God is the awesome, unknowable, transcendent, and imminent maker of all that there is, and who wants to be known, and becomes human and pitches their tent with us, the person that God becomes shows us what God is like. The person of Jesus is the face and presence of God. 
so what's he like? Jesus really sees the people around him. Do you know what I mean? You know that feeling of being really seen and known by someone? The women and the outcasts who ask for his help, who the disciples dismiss, he invites in for more because he sees them clearly. Jesus is perplexing to everyone around him, even his closest friends. He answers the traps the Pharisees put before him with options they hadn't even considered. And his disciples, he has mulling over his words for their entire lifetimes. Jesus is kind, but also angry for justice, intent on both keeping the traditions of the law and changing them dramatically. He sees the world for what it is and loves it and invites us to change it. This is what we see when we look upon the face of God in Jesus. Now there's a form of prayer called icon gazing. I love this. You literally gaze at an image as prayer. It does what it says on the tin. It's not about worshiping a picture or worshiping someone who is not God. An icon is more like a window than a thing. You are looking through that flat pane of the image at a person. When you gaze at an icon, when you let your eyes rake over the colors and the lines, you will find your eyes drawn to theirs. And there are those who would say that as you gaze at an icon, it gazes back at you. We are gazing at each other and into each other and through each other, seeing the presence of the divine in each other. And we're seeing each other clearly, not only our saintliness, but also our sin. The saint or Jesus or whomever sees the things we get defensive about, things we hide, the ways we just want to be comfortable like a hobbit. This icon that you're looking at was written by a friend of mine, Kelly Lattimore. The woman is Dorothy Day, the woman who started the Catholic worker movement and who adamantly refused for people to call her a saint. She offers care to a homeless man who Kelly has written as Jesus. When you gaze at this icon of Jesus, what do you see about God? When you gaze at this icon of Jesus, what does he see when he gazes at you? There are those who would say he also sees the face of God because we are created in the image of God. We have within us the breath of God. God is constantly creating a living heart within us, gives us the spirit within us. And the way we are here with each other tells us something about what God is like as well. I mean, certainly not everything because we're imperfect, selfish people, but something. There are so many icons of Jesus to choose from. Centuries of art where he's made a lot more Western than Middle Eastern, or a kind of romance novel Jesus, Ooh. or experiences of God in bizarre places like a rusted AC unit, or the recent work to reconstruct something like what Jesus could have looked like based on archeological evidence of the time and place, intense and beautiful. Or in the icon before, where Jesus' face is so complex, somehow sorrowful and also kind. 
And then there's this photograph of a woman from Palestine who I think I've shared with you before in another sermon. I gaze at her every morning in Lent during my prayers. Wait, that's not Jesus. No, no, I guess not. But to me, the moment I saw this photograph, I felt my skin tingle and my stomach flip and my brain both awake and strangely calm, like the disciples. Some days she's imploring me, calling me to something. Other days she's weeping in solidarity with my pain. This week she wept silently with me as I thought about the students at UC and in my kids' school who are dealing with such pain and loss. She wrung her hands alongside me as I beat myself up about accidentally using one of our trans students' dead name. She looks at me with the eyes of God. She sees me and I see God. Let me tell you about where I see the face of God at UC with the folks at the Edge House. Like Jesus, these guys aren't just some guys, they're the church. So first, this is Terrence. He's been the director of the Veterans Affairs Office at UC for years. He is a very snappy dresser. Look at that tie. And I guarantee that you can't see him, see them. His shoes are mwah. I met him by chance. I'd been popping into offices in the pavilion building to meet new people, and I came on the Veterans Affairs office. Terrence, being a massive extrovert like me, we were chatting like old chums immediately. We talked about the Edge House, about his work in the Army Reserves, about what student veterans need, about how Christianity is misunderstood, but also sets itself up for misunderstanding. Terrence never left the church. He's a man of deep faith but he has had some seriously trying times. I found out fairly recently that he and his wife years ago lost their first baby when she was very young. She was unresponsive in her crib when he came home one day. This is pain enough for a whole lifetime. But a few years later, he came home one day to the exact same scenario and they lost their second child. Can you imagine? He speaks of this pain stoically, of course, as an army man, but honestly and vulnerably. He misses his babies and he has learned to be patient, to trust God, and to encourage and teach others to do the same. When I look into Terence's eyes, I see the face of God. This is Isaac and Justin. Isaac is studying aerospace engineering. He's a huge fan of board games, yes. Uh, and teaching him a new one is a calculated risk because he will listen intently, ask a couple of questions, then nod and defeat you soundly three out of every four times. When we went to Europe a couple years ago to walk the Camino de Santiago, we spent many enjoyable miles walking side by side, talking about everything and nothing more often everything, because he is insatiably curious. Justin is finishing up his environmental studies degree this semester. We are already missing him. It's an odd time, this last bit of someone's senior year. You kind of preemptively miss them. Justin is one of those lovely folks who's always up to do whatever you're into. Hiking? Yes. 
Board game? Sure. Long conversation about trains? Of course. He's thoughtful in all senses of the word. When somebody needs help, he notices and helps, and he thinks and feels deeply about the world. When Matthew got stuck in the snow this past week, like so many others, and he was going to be late to their weekly men's discipleship group, Isaac took over leadership at the meeting, and Justin brought a video for them to all watch and discuss. That's them, always ready with a smile and a hand. When I look into Isaac and Justin's eyes, I see the face of God. And this is... Well, this is some of our Wednesday night Animal Crossing discipleship group. Can you guess which one is me? A bunch of us play the Nintendo game Animal Crossing, where you fish and plant flowers and you make your house look nice. It's very relaxing. So each week we visit a different person's island through the miracle of the internet. We take the host gifts, we wander around and ooh and ah, and we talk about our lives from that week. It's one of the more casual groups we have right now, but it's surprisingly affecting. I realized this week that several members of this group are trans or non-binary, which itself isn't unusual for our community, but they're all in the same group, able to offer support and joy to each other, and that's just lovely. And this week, we welcomed two new students, both to that group and to the Edge House more generally, both of whom have connected with us entirely virtually. They arrived in our Google Meet and were immediately met with a chorus of hellos and welcomes and they made themselves right at home in the conversation. This is one of the things I miss so deeply in this COVID time. Hospitality. And yet here, here is this hospitality in a digital video game island. When I look into these students' eyes, their, their real eyes, I see the face of God. And there are so many more stories I could tell. Daniel and Mark and Gwen and Patrick and Takaro and Macy and Leah and Peter and Phoenix and Kyler and Lainey and Mia. So many others. Even now, when we seem to be constantly pivoting from plan A to plan B to plan J and K and L... When the fatigue with the virus and the masks and the distance and the uncountable Zoom meetings seems to be all that there is, God shows up. God shows up in the faces of everyone around us. Sometimes it's blinding, like Jesus' transfiguration, complete with a mountaintop and ghosts and fire and lightning, and we can't help but see God. And sometimes it's something quieter, more subtle. We may not notice because it's, it's hard to see another person clearly. It's hard to really see their pain and their beauty. It's hard to let them look at you and really see you too. It's hard to look directly at the face of God. A few years ago now, Heidi in one of her sermons said, if we could see each other as God sees us, could we even bear to look? This has stuck with me since then. Each one of you was created in the image of God. Each one of you has the choice to see that in yourself and in the people around you. 
What would it be like if we looked at each other directly, looked into each other's eyes, looked into the eyes of people we dislike or whose politics we can't stand or whose actions we don't understand or who we know deeply and who we want to know more? What if we looked and saw the eyes of God gazing back? Friends, this Christian life isn't easy. We are called to things like forgiveness and sacrifice and taking each other seriously. But at its base, it's about uncontainable joy at our existence. God is in and around and between all of us. God, our joy, God, our maker, God is the love between us here and now. Can we bear to look? Can we bear not to look?